Welcome back to I'm Interested. I'm Mike Greenberg, and the basketball season is upon us. And it is my delight this week to have as my guest one of the smartest and most interesting voices in the basketball universe in 2018. A voice that 20 years ago no one would have listened to, or now everyone is listening to, and that is my friend Zach Lowe, who has been a regular contributor on our show on Get Up on the Mornings on ESPN, and of course, whose own basketball podcast is one of the most popular and influential that we have at ESPN, and it's just such an interesting time, I think, in the basketball world, so a perfect time to have this conversation. So, Zach, first of all, thanks a million for coming down here and doing this today. My pleasure. All right, so the season is upon us. So let us start with this. What is it that you think could happen this year that when it is over, we will say that the 2018-2019 Golden State Warriors were the greatest basketball team of all time? What could happen? Yes. They win easily, and that makes three-peat, four out of five, and it's just... I mean, you want to look at the Celtics and say, well, they're so well-constructed to beat the Warriors, and the Raptors can play all these crazy small ball lineups, and they have the greatest perimeter defender since prime Scottie Pippen. And then you're like, man, the Warriors have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant on the same team, plus two other all-NBA players. It's just their star power is crazy. And, like, that's before you talk about Cousins. Like, I haven't even factored in Cousins and what he brings to their team. So it's going to be interesting because... I don't think they're going to go – they'll never play with the intensity that they, that they did in 2016 when they won 73 games. I think they'll play harder than they did last year when they kind of lazed through the season, but not that hard. So I don't know that – but that could still be 68 wins. They're that good. So that – like you need to get into a win total like that to get into the conversation with the Bulls that won 72. You know, I, I covered that team, the 95-96 Bulls. I was with them home and road practically every day. And, and I've, I've always maintained, and, and I've had this fight with many people, that wasn't even the best Bulls championship team in that group. I thought the first three peak teams people sleep on the first were three. better. Yes, I thought they were better. I thought that the second year of that run was the best team. The team that ultimately beat Portland in six games, I thought that was the best because Jordan was at his best. I've always said the, the best, the second three peak, Michael Jordan was the best player in the league. The first three, Pete, Michael Jordan was the best player of all time. And to me, that's the difference between those two teams. I like that. Um, and, and I thought that the surrounding cast actually was better. I, 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 no one listens to me when I say this, but Horace Grant at his apex was a better player than Dennis Rodman was the second time around. He didn't have the career, but he fit into what they were doing just as well and actually, I think, did more different things. Um, they had a better bigs, whatever. Th- th- this is not a discussion for that. Sure. What I'm talking about is... Based upon the way the Warriors have been constructed, based upon the way the game is currently played, there is going to be a faction of people out there that will never give them the credit for being one of the all-time great teams. If they win 68 games this year and rampage through the playoffs, will that be the greatest team of all time? They could start five all-stars by the time Boogie Cousins comes back. There, There is reason to believe this could be the greatest team ever assembled. Sure. I mean, by by... Uh, forget wins by things like point differential and how they've done in the playoffs. Like some of their other teams are in the conversation by those measures for the greatest team of all time. You throw this team out there, you throw cousins out there. Let's assume he plays well. He fits in the right role. He does what they ask him to do. And they've had one hard playoff series since they got Durant. one. That's it. Then that was Houston last year where they kind of like, that's an interesting mark on their resume. They kind of got in their own heads a little bit. Houston gave them a lot of trouble. That was a legit, tough series 
with a very weird ending after CP got hurt, and then Houston was up by a lot in both games six and seven. It's just weird. It's a weird series. But if they just roll through the playoffs again, then you know it, the single season debate is interesting. But you, you know, what you said before is there will be people our age mostly who will never give them credit. But like you went four out of five. Like that, you're on Mount Rushmore. That's it. There's only like three or four teams that have ever even sniffed that. Like, if you win four out of five and you're dominant, like you're you're in the conversation. How will Boogie Cousins fit in with them? What will they do? See, if they had him now, it would feel very different because they would have a lot of time to figure that out. As it stands, and there's no exact date you can attach, obviously, to an Achilles. But if he comes back in February or March, what do you expect to happen? I mean, to me, it's almost like it's risk-free because if he's out of shape, if he doesn't get back on defense and throws bad passes and then doesn't get back on defense, like they're just not going to play him. Like he's, They're the only team he's ever been on. I was like, you know what? We're three-time champions. we got four dudes that are, if not all better than you, then two of them are, and the other two are all-stars too. Like We don't even need you. But I think the simplest way to look at it is like, you know, their best lineup to me, if Andre Guadalla is healthy, is still going to be with Draymond Green at center. That's still the best lineup that they can put out. That's the best lineup in the NBA. But you look at, so, so let's say in a game that counts, really counts, they play that lineup 18, 20, sometimes when they get really pressed a little longer than that. Like you put DeMarcus Cousins out there for like the other 25 minutes in place of like Zaza Pachulia and Jordan Bell and JaVale McGee and Kavon Looney and Anderson Verjon, all the unremarkable names. Like that's not even fair. You know, it's not, it's just, it's ridiculous. That was the way a lot of people, myself included, reacted. I remember sitting, we're, we're right now having this conversation in the studio of my TV show, Get Up. I remember being in here that morning and saying, this is unfair. This, this is now the ruination, if you will, of the NBA that it's unfair. Would you describe there being no risk? You use the words no risk talking about cousins. Is there no concern in your mind that they, it takes them enough time to figure it out that there's some obligation to get it working for him he took so little money that they sort of feel some i don't know emotional obligation to 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 work with him to get it there and that it ultimately winds up being something that hurts them see i think there's actually like a kind of cool basketball curiosity among their players like okay this is an ingredient like we never had this before we never had a dude you can throw the ball to in the post and he can just roll over everybody in there he's a good passer like he fit, like in some ways he's in terms of like, they don't need another guy who needs the ball a lot. They don't want a guy who doesn't get back on defense. They don't want a, a guy who, when he's not engaged, is not a good defensive player. DeMarcus can be a very good defensive player, but in other ways, like you give him the ball in the high post, he's a great passer. You give him the ball in the low post, he's a great passer. Like he fits a lot of what they do. And I think they're curious, like, let's play around with this. Let's tinker with this. This is kind of a cool thing. Um, but I just, and, and obviously, um, he is, had some issues in the locker room and other places he's been, but they're just, they're so good that if it doesn't work for any number of reasons, they can just mothball it and just say, you know what? This is a one year arrangement anyway. There's no feasible way we can bring him back. So, you know, we have no, there, it's not like there's a long play here that they have to keep in mind. It's just, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Barring significant injury, which is the X factor in every sport and always will be. Do you see any real chance that the Warriors don't win the championship this year? It, dep- it depends what you define by real. I think if Toronto and Boston 
hit everything about their teams. Kawhi's fully engaged. Everyone's healthy. Gordon Hayward by January is like old Gordon Hayward. The bench guys are all like, that's cool. We're coming off the bench like Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart. Like, we're cool with playing 20 minutes a game. We're going to go all out. I would give both of those teams like a 10 to 20% chance. Um, maybe 20 is high, but that's like, that's a chance. Houston has some things to sort out. I don't think is currently comprised. They can give the Warriors the kind of run they gave them last year, but maybe, but Boston and Toronto are built the right way with lots of talent. They would just be huge, huge underdogs. Now, Jalen Rose and I have been having this fight, um, from the moment that we launched our show in early April. And that is that I say that the Warriors are ruining basketball. And I want to make sure that you know, because you and I don't know each other that well. No one loves this sport more than I do. I, my father, I can still hear him in my ear, uh, in my head as these games are being played. And I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of things he would have thought about basketball now that we will debate later in this conversation. But, but I want to make, I, the last thing on earth I am as an NBA hater. I love the sport and it bothers me that I feel like I know how this is going to end before it starts. Bothers a lot of people. I never felt that way about the Bulls. I was with them every single year. I never felt that way. I felt going into every one of those seasons that there were teams out there that were legit, if not as good as them, damn close. See, and that, and that, that is different to me. That's interesting because I was a teenager during the Bull, both the Bulls runs. Um, that's like my entire teenage years is those eight years. And I, I just, to me, it was like, and this is, but when you're a teenager, you're kind of dumb. Like, you don't mm-hmm. think about the game the same way. But to me, it was like, well, Michael can't lose. Like, there's just no way Michael will ever lose. Like, and I, and by the end, just for the sake of someone different winning, I was rooting for Utah and Seattle to beat them in the finals. But even as I was, even when like it was 2-2 with Utah and it was, I was like, they're not going to win. Like, it's Michael Jordan. They're not going to win. So I, it's funny that you felt differently being in the trenches and young me. Felt like, well, this is like, this cool, like it's exciting, but they're not gonna, they're not gonna lose. I'm here to tell you, Utah absolutely could have beaten them. Indiana in the East during that second. And they limped past that one. Could have beaten them. The Knicks, uh, in 93, the Knicks flat out should have beaten them. Um, the, the, uh, there, there were other circumstances that Portland, I think, was, was practically their equal in 92. I'm just thinking it through. The 96 team was just ridiculously good. But even going into the conference final that year against Orlando, there was some question. Now, they wound up sweeping them, and that was the end of the Shaq-Orlando teams as we knew them. It it was not, at least in my opinion, all I can present this as is my opinion. I don't have data on this. I do not think it was nearly as much a foregone conclusion. And you're throwing 60-win teams at the Bulls. Like those like Utah, Seattle, Phoenix in 93, Portland. Like those are – part of that is that that, that the mid-90s to late-90s, you had like the expansion – win boost that helped the Bulls win 72. But, like, those teams are – you get into 60-win territory. Like, you're a really great team. So my question then is, I understand the ratings are as high as they've ever been. I understand overall interest is as high as it has ever been. I'm speaking only as someone who appreciates the game. I think it is a bad thing that the Warriors are this dominant. Do you think it is a good or a bad thing for the sport and the league that they have a team like this that feels like an outlier amongst even the best teams in the NBA? I think, I mean, in the aggregate, it's probably a little bit of a bad thing, right? As you mentioned, the ratings, everything, all those like measures of popularity are like super, super healthy. I can tell you there are a lot of people in the league office who, if you gave them the truth serum, we always talk about 
would say we would like Durant to not be there next year. And that when Cousins signed there, they just were like, you got to be kidding me. We have to deal with this like backlash again. Um, that said, Houston took them to seven last year. Now, you have argued and you could argue that that was – People felt that that was an inevitable Warriors win, even when the Warriors were down 3-2. The Warriors thought it was an inevitable win when they were down 3-2. Kerr famously said, we're going to win the next six games, and they did. Um, it went seven. You know, I, that's, but that's the only thing we have. Ever since they signed Durant, it's just been a total cakewalk. And when they get rolling, it, I mean, they put up quarters where you're like, well, they're just playing a different sport than everybody else. So I think in the aggregate, if you have a large percentage of fans who are like, yeah, it's cool. We're like interested about the Charlotte keep Kemba Walker and like, oh, are the Knicks really going to rebuild and be patient? But like, we know who's going to win the championship. I think in the aggregate, it's probably bad. Here's why it doesn't hurt them because the league has brilliantly built itself around its stars. And so it's all good because there are enough stars to make every night during the season interesting. And then the big stars are always there at the end. So we are watching Kevin Durant and we are watching Steph Curry and we are watching LeBron James. And you're not turning that off no matter what. It is It is like every single movie has whoever the biggest movie stars in the world are at all times. It's, it's like, uh, you know, Beyonce is playing every single night. Bruno Mars is playing every single night. So they've got that going for them. I, I recognize this is not a problem for the league as much as it is a problem for some of the fans. Fans who feel like I'm more interested in the movie if I don't know how it's going to end. And it's a long season, too. It's a long season. If you're a Detroit Pistons fan, like, what is your roadmap to ever being not even in the conversation, like, in the stratosphere with the best teams? If you're a Charlotte Hornets fan, like, what, like what's the roadmap? And, and, you know, that gets you into all sorts of things like what should the free agency rules be? What should the draft rules be? What, what is tanking a problem? Or is it just, the, like, these teams being smart? Get you into a whole different places, but yeah, it's always been, it's always been a sport where, um, there are three or four teams that are just better than everyone else. But as you point out, now there's one. And unless one of those four guys gets hurt, and by the way, Draymond Green is currently injured. Mm -hmm. Like Draymond may not play the first week of the season. He's had a little knee stuff, a little back stuff, a little shoulder stuff. Like that's, it's kind of going under the radar because everyone assumes the Warriors will win and they're just taking it slow. But like it's, some, it's something to watch because if you take one of those guys out, it becomes a different fight. I can tell you what's going on with the Pistons fans because I, I am a lifelong New Yorker uh, growing up and was a Knicks fan. And I'm raising a son who is a crazy basketball fan, has played basketball all of his life and is now 15, almost 16 years old. And has never in his lifetime seen a Nick team that was good. So while he calls himself a Nick fan, he really isn't. 2013, 54 wins, the didn't get into we it. We were there. We were okay, at the all garden, right. We were at those games and all of that. But but my point is, he loves the sport and he identifies more with the stars than he does with the teams. Sure. He is much much more into I love Steph. Or I hate Steph. I love LeBron or I hate LeBron. And by him, I mean my son and all of his friends. All these kids that he's grown up with playing AAU basketball from the time they were eight years old. I'm there and I listen to their conversations. What? They all have the shoes of their favorite player. They all talk about their favorite players. And they're not rooting for or against teams. They're rooting for and against the individual stars. One of my flashbulb memories from last season is Warriors at Knicks arriving to the game, you know, three hours early, two and a half hours early, whatever, and you go into MSG through that employee press entrance, which is right next to where the bus pulls in from the visiting team. And this is, again, 4.30 p.m. for a 7.30 game. There's 
200 mostly kids waiting for the Warriors, all wearing Curry and like some Durant and some Clay jerseys. I'm like, these are all Knicks fans. Like, well, these should all be Knicks fans. What are they doing here? Why are they all wearing Curry jerseys? And that bothers me. I, I will tell you. In my and again, I don't like to sound like an eighty-year-old man, but that's who my father was, and that's the person I learned sports from. He would have hated that. And when I was growing up, going to the garden with my dad to all of these games, as I did as a kid. So you know, this would have been the nineteen seventies. So when Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld came in with the bullets, great rivalry by the way, Dave, Nick's bullets seventies, yes, great rivalry. When when Dave Cowens and JoJo White and the end of John Havlicek came in with the Celtics, when Kareem came in with that first group that he had before Magic and all of them, I would the notion that I would have been excited to see them, that I would have cheered for them, would never have entered my mind. Uh, and so it has just changed. It is just a different reality, but it is brilliant because it is a 2018 reality. We are in a star-driven culture, and the NBA has stars that every other sports league in the country, including the NFL, can only dream about. Can I ask you a random aside question? Of course. Based on everything you just said. Yeah. I want to read a book. I want someone to write a book. I want to rehabilitate this, the mid to late 70s NBA because everyone's like, Oh, that was you're like no that was the time of like all these random teams won and like nobody cared and who cares about the Warriors that won and the Sonics that won and but you just were like you were just naming all these games like it's like we don't even talk about Dave Cowens. It's like a forgotten he won the MVP. Like mm-hmm. people don't even know who he is. I feel like that era is just sort of I don't want to swear, but like crapped on as like, oh, there were no dynasties. I feel like we need to rehabilitate that era. I want to revisit that era because it was a comp- it's everything that is the opposite of now. It's everything that is the opposite of the inevitability of Golden State. You couldn't be more right. And they had great players. And because of the, the where the league was, I mean, this was, people always talk about it, but this was when it actually was. The NBA Finals were shown on tape delay. <clears throat> you had to skip the evening news because the game was coming on at 1130 at night in New York. Um and the evening news would have told you who won, so you would skip that. But they were also great players, and they're all forgotten. So right now, Elvin Hayes. If nobody you're knows going to who tell me is. that nobody Elvin knows. Hayes is not every was not every bit as good a player as any of the fours that we talk about, Carl Malone, anybody else, Elvin Hayes was absolutely as good. And by the way, I'm born guys. in '77, so I'm like that era is all, all I do is read about occasionally see the NBA. You know, they'll replay the Phoenix Boston game that went to triple overtime in the finals, and Paul Westfall doing crazy things. Mm-hmm. Like I've at that era, it's funny because the same people who complain about the Warriors and the inevitability of all these dynasties winning are like, well, the 70s was just like garbage basketball. I'm like, wait a second. Why? Rick Barry was doing crazy stuff. You know, like I knew there were there were ABA defections that kind of hurt the league a little bit, but the ABA was also cool. You couldn't be more right. And and that was obviously Julius Irving when he came over from the ABA to the NBA, that that he was a mega star. But there were other all-time greats. That's the one name that people today sure. will all talk about, as though the 70s was just basically Julius Irving and a bunch of other guys. And, yeah. and that clearly was not the case. There were any number of great teams and, and great uh, rivalries then that that would have been the the George Gervin uh Spurs sure. era whatever we're, now we're getting into Yeah sorry I didn't mean to I didn't mean to take I didn't mean to take us down here No but but no it's good so so I am going to tell you 
an idea for the solution to this problem, if indeed we think it is a problem, in exactly 60 seconds, it came from someone you and I both know, and I think it's a really interesting idea. We will do that, and my conversation with Zach Lowe continues after this very quick word from our sponsor, LinkedIn, and I so appreciate LinkedIn, who jumped in with the very first edition of this podcast um, of I'm Interested and has been with us ever since. And, you know, the right hire can make a huge impact on your business, and that is why it's so important to find the right person. Now, where do you find that individual? You could try posting on the job boards, but can you really be sure the right person will see your job? Instead, find the person who will help you grow your business with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities. And 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills and interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. That way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities, so you can only reach them on LinkedIn. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. And businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. So here's what you do. Hurry to LinkedIn.com slash Greeny. Get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash greeny. $50 off your first job post. linkedin.com slash greeny. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we continue with Zach Lowe. And as I was reading that, I was thinking about the 70s. And I was thinking, have you put together a, a, a dream team, if you will, from the 70s and had to compete against the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s? relative to everyone's level of conditioning and everything else. And those were the days where guys were flying commercial and they were eating fast food before games and they didn't have personal chefs. If you put them in the same shape that they would be in today, I think those teams would absolutely be as good as any other decade ever. You're talking about, in no particular order, guys like Earl Monroe and 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 the, that would be the very end, I guess, of Jerry West. So let, let's let's but let's put Early Julius Irving in that West? conversation yeah. for sure. You know, West is his best days really were in the '60s, I think, because by the time I remember, I was born in '67. By the time I remember Jerry West, he was way past his prime. So was Chamberlain. But you'd have Kareem in his prime. You'd have Bill Walton, who for the little isolated period of time in Portland before he started having problems with his feet was, I'm telling you, as good as any center MVP? ever. As good as any center ever, th- those teams could have held their own against anybody. Okay. Here's Stan Van Gundy's idea. Stan Van Gundy said, if you want to reinstate, restore, whatever word I'm trying to come up with here, competitive balance and parity, some semblance of it in the NBA, do away with the max contract, which is to say you keep the salary cap in place. But if you want to pay LeBron James $50 million, $60 million, go ahead. You will never have a team that has more than two of those guys, and in most cases, not more than one. And his argument is a guy like Kevin Durant or others might be willing to pass up $2 million here or there to play with some other stars. They'll never pass up 20. Does it make sense? It makes sense. It's That's an idea that's been floated by lots of people for a long time now. Um, it makes sense for all the reasons you just said. I think it would have, um, I think it would have some ripple effects that maybe are not anticipated. I think it would maybe inflate salaries too much for the second tier of players, similar to how the max contract kind of does now. Uh, and there are other things we could talk about, but the union will never go for it. That's why it will never happen. Um, and I think secretly the NBA doesn't want that because I don't think the NBA wants guys making – I mean, it, the way the cap is going to go, you could have a guy making $70 million in 10 years. I don't think the NBA wants that. And I think 
the, the league likes two and three stars together. I mean, really what we're talking about is Durant, right? That's the thing that changed everything is Durant. And I do think it's important to go back and think about <clears throat> all the random variables that led to that event. Steph Curry signing a ridiculous extension because his ankles were spaghetti when he signed it. Mm-hmm. Um, the salary cap jumping 25% in one summer, which the league tried half-heartedly but tried to prevent the summer that happened to be Durant's free agency and some other stuff that is not really all that big. Like all the random blips that got us there because Durant is – when Steph and Clay and Draymond had Harrison Barnes, nobody was complaining. It was awesome. It was like this homegrown team that was doing great. It was Durant that swung the pendulum and like that ha- – I don't know that we've ever seen – we've been close – but you could say four of the top 15 guys are on the same team, including two and three. It's not like it's eight, nine, 11, and 15. It's two, three, and whatever. Like, that's the thing that tipped it over. And I don't know, maybe the system as it's currently constructed actually would prevent that from happening again. You think Steph Curry is the third best player in the league? I think he might be the second best player in the league. I think he's closer to LeBron than he is to, like, the Harden... Giannis, AD, I mean, all those guys are, when you talk about the top seven players in the NBA, it's just one ridiculous guy after the other. But I actually think you hear this every now and then. It's like people say, I think Steph Curry's underrated and it sounds ridiculous. He's a two time MVP, was a unanimous MVP. I actually think he's underrated. I think it's true. He's a, like what he, he, what he is on offense is a revolution. It's never happened. It's completely unprecedented. The Warriors have never played well offensively without him, even with Durant. He's just like I, I the the best way to put it is like you watch an average, not even an average, like a good point guard, and you watch them run a pick and roll, and you'll be like, oh wow, he could have just taken a pull up three right there, and he didn't. Then you freeze it, and you're like, well, actually, that defender is like pretty close to his hip. Like that big man's not that far from the three point line. Steph Curry has just spoiled us. I also think there are some people who think he's overrated. Those people are wrong. Tell me why they're wrong. Because by himself, he walks on the floor and he's a top five NBA offense. I really think you could put him with, you know, four league average players and they'd be a top five offense. There's just not, there's never been anything like him. No one makes shots that he, Damian Lillard is the only one who's close to being able to take the kind of shots that Steph takes. And just the attention he draws 35 feet from the hoop. He's the all-time record holder and true shooting percentage for a season. I mean, it's just – it's he shoots well from everywhere. Um, let's put it this way. <clears throat> 50-40-90 is this club that everyone – you know, it's a very exclusive club. Mm-hmm. It's almost outdated because of how many threes people take now. Like, it shouldn't be possible to shoot 50% when 58% of your shots are threes and, like, a good three-point shooter hits 40% of their threes. Like, the math is – he's he's a 50-40-90 candidate every year it's it's just insane it's completely insane and i I think he's closer to lebron lebron's the best player i think steph is closer to lebron than he is to four five six seven or whatever that people put him so looking at what we consider to be the ones in the nba right now and that that i think that the the positionless nature of the sport which is fabulous for the sport has confused this a little but if you were to start a team and you think you could, you, all the 30 general managers in the sport could start a team with Steph Curry or with Russell Westbrook or with James Harden or with Kyrie Irving or with Damian Lillard. And I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I'm forgetting in that mix. You think that they would all start it with Steph? I think you'd get a few votes for Harden. Um, because he also is sort of like the top five offense unto himself. 
just the what he can do as a passer and and a, a driver and an isolation guy. But yeah, to me, um, like Steph is the I would choose Steph without thinking very hard. What is Westbrook? Whew, that's that's a complicated question. You're talking to one of the rare people who did not vote him MVP when he averaged a triple double. I think he's a great great player. I think he's the. I, I would probably put him as the. I because we did this for NBA rank. I didn't vote in it, but I would probably put him as the eighth best player in the league. Um, when Kawhi Leonard is healthy, I think Russ is 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 an unbelievable player who takes a lot of plays off on defense, takes too many insane shots, um, can't shoot threes, but shoots as many threes as Steph almost, and is a good passer, but not like a next level passer. And everyone loves Russ. I get it. I was made f- deadspin made fun of me when I didn't vote Russ as MVP. I just think he's he's a really good player who's not as good as those other guys. Nothing wrong with that. He, he plays. The game, I think that I am predisposed to like him because Everyone is. the insane intensity with which he plays, I find really appealing. At, at, at a time when guys are resting and all that, I love the way the guy plays. He's magnetic. It's it's a visceral, it's a visceral thrill to watch him play. There's no question. I love watching him play. I mean, even if I nitpick his decision making here or there, he's like he's awesome to watch. I was talking about LeBron in L.A. That clearly is the story of the basketball summer, even with the Warriors being what they are, and it's the story as the season begins here. What do you think is a reasonable expectation for him and them in his first year? Well, for him, the reasonable expectation is always he's the best player and he wins the MVP. Um, for them, I think I'm probably a little more bullish on the Lakers than most people are. But I, I think reasonable is like, 48 wins in a six seed is reasonable. Optimistic, everything goes right. 50 wins in a five or four seed, depending on how things fall. And there definitely is a floor where they miss the playoffs, where their defense just can't get it together, where the young guys don't hit, where the veterans get unhappy because the young guys are playing more and blah, blah, blah. But I, I just... I, I think they'll settle in the middle of those two of those two things. And, and as we, if we assume, and I think we both do, that the next time the Lakers have a real chance at winning a championship, there will be at least one other transcendent player on his team. Hopefully, for his sake and Magic Johnson's sake, that comes next summer when there are all these really good players available. If you could handpick one and say that's the perfect guy to put with LeBron, who is it? It has to be Anthony Davis, and that's not because of the Rich Paul connection and all that. It's just that, um, you know, you could make arguments for for Damian Lillard. Even um, you could make an argument for Clay Thompson because Clay Thompson is just a, an ideal second banana. T- to me, what Anthony Davis is going to be is and is going to be defensively solves a lot of the issues that people are concerned about with the Lakers now, and just you know. Like as he grows into a player, he as he grows into a more versatile player, a more uh, someone who can even more post up switches and all that. Like he becomes, he's the pick and roll partner forever with LeBron. You know that for the next five or six years, it, to, to, he's the he's the, you can make an argument for Giannis, but to me, Anthony Davis is the one that's gettable, maybe gettable, maybe gettable in two or three years or whenever the timetable is. That that's the home run. I'm sure there are many people who are listening to this conversation now who are regular subscribers and listeners to the Low Post podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts that we have at ESPN and and are well-versed in your opinion on this particular subject, among many others. But I'm sure there are some who have not. So it is worth covering this ground either way with you. Where are you on the LeBron historically all-time greatest conversation? 
I think it's I think he will be the greatest player of all time when he's when he retires and and if if he's not already. I would probably I mean again all the caveats aside about comparing eras and rule changes and this and that. I think he's neck and neck with Jordan now if not already past him and then in, in 4 years when he's you know he never gets hurt. So in 4 years when he's put up four more monster seasons I just think statistically that there will be no more comparisons statistically except for the one statistic that some people will just never well, – some people it will always be their trump card, which is six rings. Right. And, and what is the rebuttal to that? I mean you just told me that when you were a teenager – you watched the game and said, there's just no way Michael will lose. It's true. I mean, that counts for something. It absolutely. It frustrated the hell out of me. I was like, he's this is never going to lose. So how do we put that into the equation? Because we've seen LeBron lose a lot. We have. And I, I think the degree to which people um, – there was a lot of revisionist history about LeBron after the 2011 finals. And LeBron, I don't know if you saw The Shop, uh, his new show on HBO the other night. He, he really talked about it at length. What happened to him in the 2011 finals never happened to Michael. Like he just had a complete, but LeBron had a complete meltdown. He admits it on, on the show kind of in more depth than he ever has before. That counts. Like I, I think Miami had a better team than Dallas in that finals and, and should have won. And LeBron just had a breakdown on national TV in front of the world. And that led to like a lot of, well, he's never done anything before in, in the clutch. I'm like, oh, the dude scored 25 points in a row against the Pistons when he was like an NBA baby to make the finals. He put up, and they lost the series, but you look at the 2009 team in Cleveland when it was like LeBron and Mo Williams and like name another guy yeah. on that team. The guy averaged 39, nine and nine in the conference final. It was like ridiculous what he had done. And the 2011 finals kind of erased that. And now people will look at his finals record. It is what it is. And and we just spent the first twenty minutes of this podcast talking about how the team that beat him three times is a complete historical outlier. And you look at the supporting cast, you look at the the series where Kyrie and Kevin Love were hurt the first time they played. It's like I'm not sure what the argument is that they should have won any of those series, and they got one. And so I like to to make eight straight finals is an incredible feat. And it, you know you can look at the finals record and say, well, he he. I don't know that you can look at the finals record and then look at what he did in the finals and say any of this is his fault or he could have done any more than he did. But people will. I mean, we understand that people will and do, and they'll say, rightly or wrongly, and I think wrongly, that if Michael Jordan was on some of these teams, he would have found a way to win. They'll they'll somehow suggest he had more will, he had more mental toughness, he had more courage he had more something but that somehow he would have found a way not to lose all these finals i happen to be on your side i happen to think we do a stupid thing and that is we just look at people's records in the finals so people will look at at tom brady when he had four super bowl rings he now has five but when he had four i actually had people argue with me well terry bradshaw and joe montana are better because they never lost in the super bowl and I would say, let me understand the logic here. You're telling me 4-0 and in the Super Bowl is better than 4-2 and in the Super Bowl? So you're telling me that winning that conference championship game diminishes him versus the times that Montana didn't get there and that Bradshaw— Getting so it's there is stupid. hard. Hard. It's Getting hard, there is obviously. Really it's hard. hard. It's stupid. 
But people sometimes, Zach, are stupid. Well, so the stupid people are going to say Michael Jordan would never have would never have lost all of these finals the way LeBron has. Well, he'd have lost. I mean, again, we just spent thirty minutes talking about this historical outlier. It's unbeatable. They're inevitable. I mean, you say what you want. Now LeBron has three rings. That's like a lot of rings. That's Larry Bird level rings. Mm-hmm. If he never gets another one, that's a lot of championships. I, the example I always go to now, he's on a, one tier lower than LeBron because LeBron's tier is LeBron and Michael, and you could throw Kareem or Bill Russell, whatever you want to do, but they, they're on a tier by themselves. I always want, like, we used to be smarter than this. Like, Jerry West got the nickname Mr. Clutch. That's his nickname. He's one in seven in the finals, or one in eight, or whatever it is. His nickname is Mr. Clutch. All the dude did was lose in the finals every year. And we were smart enough to, like, watch the games, look at the numbers, and be like, it's Mr. Clutch. They lost, but he's Mr. Clutch. I don't understand why we can't do that anymore with other players. It's a really, really good point and thought, which I'd never had before. Um, who would that be now? Like, who who is the guy who doesn't win all the time? Who isn't that guy who, in a previous era, we would have appreciated more? Like, um, I'm, I'm not sure because there, no one else is on a really great team. Uh, besides all of these Cavaliers, and that's LeBron. I mean, LeBron is that. I guess. I, I guess he's the he's, closest. He's thing like to a that. super duper Jerry West. I mean, there you could you could go through it for for lesser players. Like I, I think I think a guy that will be historically underrated because he only won one championship and his teams only made the finals once is KG. I think KG is like a top fifteen all time player, completely revolutionary defensive player. Who will just be remembered as like, yeah, that guy was a star, but but I think he was more than a star, and I, it's not it's not like he lost in the finals seven times or whatever, but I think like that that's one of the kind of guys I think. How about, about. Nowitzki? Where do you put if if you if you if you if you're judging all time great careers between Nowitzki with one ring and KG with one ring? It's a it's it's a it's a great it's a great question. I again, you're putting me on the spot. I think. KG's defense was, I mean, he's not just a, a great defensive player. He's one of the five greatest defensive players ever. If you wanted to argue that he was the best ever in his prime, one of the only guys who could legitimately guard all five positions and guard them well, I think that tips the scales to him a little bit. But Dirk is, Dirk is equally like a revolution on offense, but defensively he topped out at, you know, like probably a little bit below average. So I'd give a little, without looking at the numbers or anything, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would probably take KG. Okay, so I I could do all of this historical stuff with you forever, but let's talk about this season because that's really more the point of what we're doing here. Which is the best team in the East? Uh, I think Boston will be the best team in the East by the end of the season. Now, whether they finish with the best record or not, I think people are kind of sleeping on the Raptors. The projection systems are not sleeping on the Raptors. They actually probably mostly favor the Raptors. Um, And I understand why. Like, Kyrie's coming back from knee surgery. Looks fine. Like, I think Kyrie's fine. Kyrie, Kyrie's knee thing is not like some recurring, like, he didn't have a meniscus removed or anything like that. Hayward is behind where he wanted to be and where the team thought he might be by now. Um, and whatever brilliant stuff is happening in practice, they keep talking about how practices are unbelievable, did not translate to actual games. So, Toronto, Probably comes out of the gate with an edge, but I think qualitatively Boston is the best team. How about are we are we overlooking or am I overrating Philadelphia? I don't. I, we haven't mentioned Philly, and we should have because they have two absolute studs. Um, I I think part of the, the Philly is hard to evaluate because of faults. 
And, and it's hard to put like Toronto and Boston. I look at the roster. I look at the style of play. Like I know what those teams are. Like coming out of the gate, game one, I know what they are. I know what their vision is. I know how they're going to play and how good they are. The Sixers are breaking up what was the best starting five in the NBA last year by the numbers to start a guy who had the yips for an entire season. And, and he had a couple good games in preseason, made a three. And then he had a couple games where he was like, Ooh, I don't know what, what's going on here. Like I, they're hard to evaluate, but I think, I I don't know that they have the depth of like plus plus talent that the other two have. See, here's the thing about Markel Fultz, and I'm glad you brought him up because I was going to otherwise. We talk about the Sixers is that we forget that they have the number one pick in the draft waiting in the wings. And if all he is is a guy with the yips who barely breaks the starting lineup, if that then that's one of the worst picks of all time. And I just can't believe it's going to be that. Look, I'm one who never saw him play in college in my life. He was on a team that didn't make the tournament and all of that. But all the, I mean, the, the Sixers traded up to take him number one ahead of all these other really good players, including Jason Tatum. They're not, the people who made that decision have seen basketball before. We, it's sometimes easy to pick on them, but Markel Fultz should be at minimum, a really, really good NBA player, right? He, he absolutely should be. Most number one picks are. Um, so you're adding him to Joel Embiid, who, if he stays healthy, I believe is transcendent. Absolutely. I, I think he is as good as any. If you, if you, if you promised me he was going to be healthy, I would take him ahead of any of the other big guys in the entire and, sport. And by the right way, now. the more he, the longer he stays healthy, the better his conditioning is going to be. And that was that by the end of last year, people got began to realize like, you know, he's, he's having trouble playing eight minutes straight of, Super hard playoff basketball. If that goes away, forget about it. And then it became very trendy to just poo-poo Ben Simmons in the playoffs last year. And I understand. I mean, Jalen was telling me he's shooting with the wrong hand and all of this. I, I understand what the question marks are, but it feels like those overwhelmed the the transcendent brilliance that he has. I think at his absolute worst, he's Jason Kidd, and and but but he's eight inches taller. And if he does work his offensive game to a better place, then he's better than Jason Kidd. And if you're better than Jason Kidd, Ooh. then you're a ridiculously great player. That's a tall order. Peak Jason Kidd was peak Jason Kidd in the open court was I mean, as someone who did, who who's I, I grew up a Celtics fan and those Celtics Nets series when he would get a rebound, I, I was like this is going to be bad. But is Simmons but, not that? I mean, no, Simmons he is, is that, but, but he's 7 feet tall. But but Jason Kidd by the end could shoot and shoot well. Um and but I just you know what, I remember Reggie Miller once telling me that they used to call him Asen because he didn't yep. have a J. Yeah. So I mean I get that he eventually developed a three that he could throw in every now and again, and I'm not trying to diminish Jason Kidd. He was a phenomenal player and is the all-time assist. I get all of that, but what I'm saying is Simmons I think has more offensive game to begin, more scoring ability to begin his career than Kidd had when he began his career. And no? he, he walked into the league as a as a great passer and people realized within five games oh wow defensively this guy could be special too like he's a really good defensive player i put him on the all nba team last year uh third team uh so i mean yeah i think ben simmons is obvious is is ceiling is like top tier hall of famer for sure so i think the upside on philly this is a very long drawn out way of saying i feel like it became very fashionable to forget about the sixers because toronto got Kawhi, and people don't even really talk about them much and Boston looked so good, albeit in a losing effort against Cleveland, that, that all of a sudden they're the next team. But before that series began, everyone thought the Sixers were going to win that I, series. I picked the Sixers in five. I picked them in a sweep. Shows you what a genius I am. But my point is, 
the next step in that progression, I think, is is a potentially great one. I think we are overlooking Philadelphia as we preview this season. That's I, my opinion. I think that's fair because I'm I'm a little down on Philly. Uh, my my predictions column comes out either tonight or tomorrow, depending on when we want to post it. And in there will be on paper or on digital paper proof that I'm a little down on Philly. It just feels like a it just feels like a a, a figuring it out year. That's that's what it feels like a year of like they got a little more to sort through than some of these other teams. They're making a long play, which I think is smart. By just like let's throw Fultz in now, like let's let's start building our 2020 team, our best version of a 2020 team now. Don't put it off, even though we have these hiccups to sort through. But the hiccups for this particular season, I think, are, are real. But maybe again, it, they may come out and start 12 and 0 and make me look like an idiot. It would not stun me. To see them have a season that is the one everyone talks about, and by the way, the team that winds up winning all we're talking, we're we're essentially talking about offense, right? Like shooting and the yips Mm -hmm. and how the defensively, Fultz is a monster at point guard. Simmons is a monster. Embiid is a monster. Covington's a monster. Saric is really good. Like they could be the best defensive team in the league. And defense wins you having the best defensive team in the league. If your offense is mediocre, you can still win fifty five games. If you line up their personnel, man for man, against the Celtics. One best player versus their best player, their best player versus their best player. You're looking at Philly more often than not, right? If you're just going out and starting a pickup game between those two teams, the first pick is Embiid and the second pick is Simmons. Am I am I missing something? I could see one of the captains in this theoretical pickup game picking Kyrie, um, because Kyrie is one of those like the players love Kyrie. So I like you could make an argument for Kyrie as the second pick, um, and, and Tatum. I mean, I've heard Brian Windhorst refer to Jason Tatum as the best player on the Celtics already. I don't agree with him, but there are lots of people who are super high on Tatum. I'm super high on Tatum. I just think that that's a little too much too soon. But I I think the Celtics from three to eight make up whatever ground Philly has at one and two. And I I think the same thing for like Kawhi is the best player in this entire conversation. This three-team conversation we're having, Kawhi is the best player if he's healthy. I just think – and and normally the best player – that's the thing that matters more than anything else. Right. I think Boston is so special, three, four, five, six, that, that they make up a lot of ground. I agree with you on Kawhi. I think it, we live in a world where anything that happened more than 15 minutes ago is forgotten. So I, I agree that he is that great. What I will say is if he reaches his apex, I don't know that Embiid isn't the best player in that group regardless. Totally fair. I mean, second in defensive player of the year voting last year. Um, and, unguardable in the post but there are holes there are people everyone's very excited about Embiid there are holes in his game there's some holes in his game like his turnovers his passing but like that's this the guy has barely played in the NBA because of all the injuries he's going to be I it's it's scary to think about what he's if you could promise me he was going to stay healthy I don't know that there's more than two or three guys in the league I would start a team with before I would go to him okay Uh, I, I I could literally do this with you for 10 hours but I have a few things I want to throw in quickly. Okay. We talked a little bit about growing up with the sport. So I just wrote a bunch of names down. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Moses Malone, Willis Reed, Artis Gilmore, Bill Walton, Wes Unseld, Bob Lanier, Dave Cowens. Every team had a center. Even into the, 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 the you know, the heyday of, of the sport in the 80s, Ewing, Elijah Wan, Robinson, into Shaq. There were always teams that had great centers. Will we ever see a championship team built around a center? Again, a true 
center, not not Anthony Davis, who's out there shooting threes and running the floor. I'm talking about a back to the basket, you know, Shaquille O'Neal type. I guess he's the last of that breed. Is that over? Is that something that 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 you might we will look up in museums someday? It looks it it looks over. Um, Embiid is the closest to this player, and even Embiid is going to shoot threes. And so if that disqualifies him, then that disqualifies him. But Embiid is still an inside-out player. The basis of Embiid's game on offense is still you throw it to him on the block and he can mow down almost anyone that's behind him. Um, I I think it's it, – when you say built around, I think that's the key disqualifier. Like I don't think you can build a championship team around Rudy Gobert in the sense that you're talking about where that player is the centerpiece of everything they do. They touch the ball on every possession. You can build a championship team like figuratively around Rudy Gobert. Like you can put enough good players around him that he can be the starting center on a championship team, but not in the way that you're talking about. Yeah, I agree. It's a shame because um, they were the best players in the league, and, and there was something about that. It's sort of like when the – it almost feels like there's no heavyweight division anymore, uh, you know, in boxing, you know, with, with, the, with the big men in basketball. There's a part of me that misses it, and that brings me again to the voice in my head, which is my father's voice in my head, who when they first put the three-point shot in basketball – my father said to me, Michael, this is not the way this game was intended to be played. You do realize that, that the, 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 the entire reason to play the game of basketball, the entire objective was to pass the ball effectively enough to get the best possible shot as close to the basket as you could, not as far away as you could. Do you believe in this age of analytics and threes and all of that, that they will ever reach a point where the three-point shot is too important in basketball and we need to address it. So what you just said about the whole point of the game was to get a dunk or a layup, right? That still exists. All that happened was the three-point shot didn't erase those shots. The three-point shot erased all the other shots that count for two points. Teams still, even the Rockets, still want layups, free throws, or threes. They just don't want anything else. Um, I did, this is now probably four or five years ago, I wrote a piece like, is there, are there too many threes? Because there are a lot of people who feel um, stylistically that they worry about sort of a homogeneity of style. Like everyone's going to play with the Rockets. Do I want to watch 53s in every game from both teams? I I hate to break it to you. We have not hit the upper bound of how many threes that mathematically teams should be taking. It's going to keep happening. But I, you know, look, I don't, I don't, I mean, I watched Celtics Cavs game seven with my dad and he's still a Celtics fan. And there was, I'll never forget, we're sitting on the couch Double team Horford in the post, kick to Rozier. Rozier misses an open three. This is the game the Celtics and the Rockets both in game seven missed 9,000 threes. Mm-hmm. My dad sits there and I go, stop shooting these damn threes. It's all you take is three. I'm like, dad, it's wide open. Like, it's a good shot. I hate to break it to you. It's a good shot. But, and I under, I understand. I want to, they're related points to your big man thing. Like, I want teams to look different and I don't, I don't dismiss fans who are like, I kind of just wish that there was a mid-range shot. I don't dismiss that as as like just grouchiness. I miss it too. I, I do. I miss it. Again, those of us who are old enough to have seen it, I miss it. And I, I'm not standing in front of a, a moving train and saying we need to stop this. I get that people love it and that the league is better than it was. I have the answer to the hack-a-shack thing or whatever it is now. Ooh. All this fouling away from the ball. Okay. I miss three to make two. Remember three to make two? For the younger people listening to this conversation, three to make two was back in the day when the team would get into the penalty. If you committed enough team fouls in a quarter, they were in the penalty, they would give the shooter three shots to make two. So if he missed one of the first two, he would get another opportunity. I believe that if you should, if you foul a man 
away from the ball that you could, if you reinstated three to make two, they wouldn't do it anymore. What do you think? Don't mind. Don't mind it. I think that's the right kind of path. And they, they legislated a lot of that out of the game by extending the amount of time that the, you know, the, the real harsh penalties for away from the play fouls, um, extend for. So they, they like that, the hack a shack went down a lot last year. I've always been a fan of like, uh, you should be able to pick who shoots the free throws. That's the easiest way to me. You, you hack DeAndre Jordan, then JJ Reddick gets to shoot the free throws. Like, that's the easiest one. Okay, fair enough. And then finally, let's make our predictions. My predictions on the upcoming season, I think, will are not the same as everyone else's. Ooh. But let's just do the obvious ones. First off, rookie of the year. Who's going to be the rookie of the year? Oh God, I'm I'm a, I'm not a college basketball guy, so I I I will be learning these players. Okay, so now. then just looking at I'll, the, I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say Doncic. Okay, so you think he's going to be that good? I he's going to get part of rookie of the year is like opportunity, right? Like they got to put up the counting stats, and I think Doncic will put up the counting stats with reasonable efficiency. Okay. So I'll go with him. Who's going to be the coach of the year? <sighs> Who won last year? Dwayne Casey it won't be Dwayne Casey. Dwayne again. Casey won last year, uh, and, and, and no one even uh, considered Brad Stevens. I, I'll I was going to say I'll I'll go Brad Stevens or Quinn Snyder. How about that? You know, and, and I think Snyder was the other guy who could have won I voted it last, for him year. last year. The, 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 the guy that I, just the way they do this now, I think Mike Malone could wind up being the coach of the year because I think the Nuggets, and you actually said this to me the other day, we were in the hallway here, the Nuggets could be the team that jumped from out of the playoffs to like 52 wins, and that's Ooh. the guy they always give coach of the yeah, year. Yeah, it's to. true. It's, it's the bump. It's the, it's the, or the, it's like the new guy bump. Like if, if, if the Bucks have a monster year, well, what changed? Well, Mike Budenholzer took over. So that that's another name. Yeah, something like that. And then finally, who's going to be the MVP? I'm going to pick Giannis. I think by the odds, he's like the fifth choice. But I, 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 you know, like you go down the line. Okay, LeBron is his team going to finish. Everyone is up? saying LeBron. Yeah, that, that's the the fashionable pick is to say LeBron will be the. What, MVP. Is he going to win it if the Lakers finish seventh in the West? No, Russ did. Russ did with the seventh seed or the sixth seed, six or seven. I can't remember what they were. Um. So it's possible, um, but I'm going to pick Giannis. I'm going to pick Embiid. I think that Ooh, I think that I the like Sixers. It. I'm telling you right now, this is I am staking my reputation as a basketball expert, of which I have none. <laughs> on the following <laughs> prediction, the Sixers are going to be the team that that everyone is selling short that are going to wind up with the best record in the Eastern Conference, and Embiid is going to be the reason why. Because for, we talk about all these great players in the sport, and I feel like Embiid gets left out of that conversation because we are so accustomed to him being hurt all the time and worrying about him. But when we talk about Anthony Davis, LeBron, let's put him in a whole other category. Sure. When you talk about the, the, the list of the next great players in the NBA, I believe that Joel Embiid's name should be mentioned with any of them, and for whatever reason, it is not. Fair. So you're, wait, you're picking him for MVP? I think he is going, I think they're going to win. They're going to finish as the one seed in the Eastern Conference. I love it. And Embiid is going to wind up being the MVP. We are diametrically opposed on Philly. And, and that's not a slight to Embiid and Simmons and what they're going to be in the future. I just, I said all my Philly stuff earlier, but yeah. I, I like that. I like that prediction. Okay. Well, look, I could do this forever. This has already been the longest of these podcasts that I've Sorry. Because you're just, no, you're just such an interesting person and you have such a great, what I like about your perspective is you, you combine. So I feel like there are some people who just, live in the basketball past and there are some people who are purely based everything they say is based in analytics and then you have like this delightful combination of the two where um 
it is evident to me that you were watching the games and not just looking at the stats afterwards. Um, but you're also not one who is discounting all of these numbers. So in, in the, if, if Daryl Morey and Charles Barkley had a child, <laughs> it would be Zach Lowe. And oh that's what God. I like about it. That is, that might be the worst thing anyone has ever said about me. Or maybe I, the best. I don't know. I, 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 I hope that you take it in that, the manner I'm going to dream it about intended. that. I'm going to, that's like going to somehow be a dream. It's going to be in my dream tonight. Is there, I don't even want to think about that. Anyway, the low post podcast, which you don't need me to tell you already if you're a basketball fan is as good as it gets. Uh, and I thank you very much for doing this. My, my man. pleasure, I man. I really Anytime. enjoyed it. We'll enjoyed do it, it again as the season yeah. goes on. Certainly you'll see him regularly with us on my show on Get Up. And with that, I say, Thank you all very much for spending this hour with me this week. I'm interested, and I would ask if you have a moment at some point when you do, if you would be kind enough to subscribe to this podcast, to rate this podcast, and review this podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. It only takes a moment, and it would be doing me an enormous favor. Again, the podcast is called I'm Interested. My name is Mike Greenberg, and we'll talk again next week.